And I think that was the first real weighted moment uh, that we were building to. I knew that it was coming, mm-hmm. um, where I think we said to the fans, there's more to this show than you think. There always has been. We just had to get you here. Welcome to EW's Binge. I'm Shana Naomi Crockmall. And I am Patrick Gomez. We are binging our way through an entire show that we love with one podcast episode focused on each season. Uh, today we're talking about season two of Schitt's Creek, uh, which originally aired on the CBC and Pop TV. And joining us to answer all of our many questions and tell us all about it is none other than Dan Levy. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm glad to be back. <laughs> it's been so long. It's been a while. A while, a yeah. whole season. It's been a whole season. Um, okay, quick note on spoilers. We're only gonna talk about things that happened in season one or two mm. up through now. We're gonna do our best not to spoil it's too very much ahead. Respectful of the process. Um, if you haven't watched all of the seasons that are available to you on Netflix, What's you're safe through you? there. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Stop, come back, we're not going anywhere. Uh, just be sure to come back and get spoiled for everything else once you get caught up. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so. Before we start talking about season two, I, mm. I want to just ask, we, you said that you didn't know if you were coming back, so how long was it? What was the reaction like once it started airing? Get us, uh, get us, get us to getting greenlit for I think two. we knew a couple weeks in. Wow. After, yeah, after season one had started airing, yeah. you knew you were coming back. That's yeah. fast. And yeah. was the fan reaction instantaneous for you? Like, like were people reaching out already uh, saying like how much they loved the show, or yeah, was it just viewership I think it was, that was? I mean, it was, a, it was a combination of both. I think, um, People were finding it slowly but surely, and I I think the the great thing about how the show came to be and finding ourselves on the CBC up in Canada and Pop here was they were really um, excited about the content. They were really excited about the show, and that's really great because I think had we been on a you know a big sort of network, you get lost in the fray of so many different shows, and I think. We were fortunate enough to have two networks that really cared about what we were doing and mm-hmm. put a lot of energy and resources behind it. So I think they decided early on that this was going to be a worthwhile long-term investment for them, and for that I am forever grateful. Do you find hometown fan, um, hometown of the like Canadian fans are, are react to the show any differently than American fans mm-hmm. of the show? Uh, Canadian. I mean, there, I think there's a sense of ownership that Canadians have over the show, which I think is lovely. Um, do they get because mad that you're not, not more specifically a, a Canadian location? Well, you're sort of like always a little vaguely like listen, not it's too a much Canadian one or the other. show. It's they know. They know. They're okay. Um, and for us, it was really specific because to not place it anywhere really forces the viewer to feel the isolation of this experience, and that was a that was a decision that we made. Um, but it's a it's a I mean, other than Chris Elliott, who is American, it is ninety nine point nine percent Canadian made. We shoot it up in Canada, our entire cast, our crew, our writers. It is a wonderful sort of product of, of my home and native land. It's, and uh, yeah. It's so funny because watching it, I grew up in Texas and the town just reminds me of so many towns that we would mm-hmm. drive through, you know, mm-hmm. go- going from home to see family and stuff like yeah. that. That in my head, I just made it that it was in like some small, like rural southern town. Right. And it wasn't until somebody else was like, oh, it's like, yeah, they're in Canada. And I'm like, they're not in Canada. Like, because I, <laughs> but I think yeah. that's what's great is that you guys don't identify exactly where it is. So you all can take what you want from it. It's about what's going on in the town and not about anything else. That's really what it is. 
um, and Canadians are, are wonderful. It's amazing because all across Canada you'll get different responses. Um, we were in Vancouver and they were so sort of wonderfully rabid about it, but then where I'm from, which is Toronto, everyone's like, cool. Nobody wants to show you that they care about it. Um, so you'll just get people sort of like, at best, giving you like a nod if you walk down the street. <laughs> I remember You're thinking like, like well done. okay, Thanks. all right, Thanks. I'm glad. Thank you so much. But uh, and you know, east coast of Canada, mm -hmm. it's really. I mean, you get Canada is such a huge country, and the breadth of of Canadians is so wonderfully diverse that you you end up seeing a bunch of different reactions from different places. Um, but it's I, I'm so proud to have made this show in Canada and to showcase Canadian talent um, because they, we don't necessarily get those kinds of opportunities here in the States. Yeah. So before we dive deep into season two, we want to get a general overview from you. And uh, again, we're going to challenge you to do that in 30 seconds or less. Oh no, I don't even know. <laughs> I'm this is going to blur together. Uh, so I'll just speak very broadly. Okay, so season one, this was about a family trying to escape this town. Season two is about what happens when they know that it's not gonna be quite as easy. So you have people being forced to ingratiate themselves into this town, and I think the, the wonderful thing about season two is that by the end of it, there is a softness to this family and a realization that they have to, they have to ha love each other in order to get through it, and, uh, and it ends in a wonderfully joyful experience. You did that perfectly. Look at that. that. You wrapped up. I mean, that's incredibly broad. <laughs> I mean, but that's fine. <laughs> if people have not seen this season. They're like, what? Like, the what, heck what is, is he it talking about? about? Um, no, that but that's good. the broad strokes of it. There we go. Okay, well, we're going to get into the Let's nitty gritty. It. So that's fine. Okay, so season two, it starts with finding <laughs> David. Yes. Uh, your character has run off. My character escaped town, stole a car, ran away. And season two picks up on uh, he's he's been missing, and finally we find out where he is. And his truck that he had stolen broke down, and he ended up in an Amish farm. This is like kind of the grown-up equivalent of like when you get really mad as a kid and you run away and you make it like three blocks. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. David is not a capable person. No. <laughs> I'm shocked that he Made it knew that how far. to drive the car. Yeah. Um, well, we'll learn more about that later. 100%. <laughs> uh, ended up in this Amish farm, and part of that came from, uh, you know, sitting with our writers at the beginning of season two, saying, like, what would be the most wonderfully strange and sad place for <laughs> David to end up? A place that he knows nothing about. He's um, most uncomfortable. Miriam makes the most delicious butter. Yeah. I mean, she starts pounding that cream about half an hour too early in the morning, but it tastes exactly like the butter we had at the Ritz in Paris, you know, that sort of saltless butter. Well, once again, thank you for nurturing our David during such a difficult time. No, we should be thanking you for coming. We've spent two sleepless nights wondering what would happen if nobody came. Would we be stuck with him? Most uncomfortable. Um, and we all thought, if it's an Amish community, a community of people that really pride themselves on like the simplicity of life, what would that look like? And uh, and so the the episode is really sort of about this family realizing where he is and going to get him, and try to. Once some of them back. realize she's act he's actually missing. Yeah, <laughs> and then getting there, and he's been having a great time the until we great. realize <laughs> that he's been annoying the entire farm, and they want him gone like yesterday. Um, and uh, my favorite part of that was uh, there's a shot where I'm found in a field, 
and I'm holding a pitchfork, <laughs> watching a young Amish girl like till the land, and being very helpful. The worst human, <laughs> just watching her sweat. Um, and from an aesthetic standpoint, I knew that the costuming in that moment had to be something very that the contrast of David and what he chose to wear in this field had to be something outrageous um, in order to sort of get the gag of, of just the, the sheer absurdity of the, of the situation. And uh, I, am a, uh, I love fashion, I, have, I pay attention to it, and there had been this piece uh, from Helmut Lang that I've always sort of admired and, and wanted for myself. It was a different time. Now I don't think I can get away with wearing it, but it was a mohawked, hooded sweatshirt. And I remember at the time thinking that could be a great piece. So I spent about a month and a half scouring the internet for it and finally found it on eBay. So it was actually the one you had been it dreaming of? It was the at. one that I had been dreaming of from years prior. And we got it, and I'm sitting there with the mohawk up and these Balenciaga sunglasses in this field. Very and, practical. Uh, and it, I, it worked. I think it was, I mean, he did not look like he belonged there at all. It entirely worked. I, I, the, the images and the pitchfork is so huge, it's great. Completely absurd. <laughs> um, as a lot of David's moments are, mm. which I love. Um, There's a bug on your dress, I think was the line yes. that got him to leave. A hundred percent. A hundred percent it was. He wasn't wearing a dress, he was wearing a skirt and a long tunic hoodie. Um, but she's Amish. But I she's mean. Amish, and there actually was many bugs on my dress. Ooh. And, uh, you know, for me that was a tough scene to shoot. <laughs> I feel like some of the fashion when taken outside, watching you, watching Catherine, mm. watching like all of the, like the heels, like in these small towns, yeah. like down the streets. Well, that was a really important part of the show for me because I, it, if clothes, particularly in this story, tell so much. It, it tells the audience, it reminds the audience continually where these people came from and just how much money they came from. And, um, for me, it was also important to authenticate that experience, and if there were people who were interested in fashion, designer clothes, uh, that they would be able to recognize pieces that were showing. So we had such a small budget that part of that challenge was, where do you get designer clothes when you have nothing to work with uh, in terms of money? So for me, it was almost a year-round experience of mining eBay and consignment stores and vintage stores and uh, all of these different sort of consignment apps now that have popped up for clothes mm -hmm. and bartering and negotiating them down to prices that we could afford uh, and it was it's the most insane And then you're out there experience. on location and it's not like normally on a set you would have doubles or triples of no, like any of your outfits. So what happens one. if that like Nobody can spill. Nobody can get caught on anything. Can have ketchup or any kind of <laughs> like colored juice. Uh, there are clothes that come out immediately when we wrap like large oversized shirts that we'll sort of put around our actors to not allow anything to spill on the clothes. What happens if someone breaks a heel walking down, you know, like a Fingers crossed. <laughs> nothing has happened yet. Okay. Knock that's on wood, we have not had anything go wrong now that oh I've God, said it out I'm loud. I'm so sorry. Our I'm whole sorry. wardrobe department's going up in flames. <laughs> but, um, I'm sorry. It's been a really fun thing to play with <laughs> clothes. Um, and they, they add a level of humor that we don't have to write. Yeah. And as a lazy person, that's really <laughs> helpful. But uh, except all the time it took you to find them. 
Yeah, I never said I was bright in terms of <laughs> the way like I shopping. spend my time. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm going to come out of this whole experience with a terrible shopping habit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's healthy. It's fine. Yeah, now the show's paying for it. When the show's done, it's just going to oh. be like, sir, you have $35,000 on your credit card. How do you plan on paying for it? You'll mm, just write another show. great show yeah, that exactly. we'll do another binge, yeah. binge podcast on. You so, know a lot of these actors really, really well. What was a moment early on where you had to give them a note or give them direction that wasn't what they were expecting or where you weren't getting exactly what you wanted? Well, it's interesting because, I mean, with Catherine, I had grown up with her sort of in our family's orbit, um, but I grew up in Canada and she lives in Los Angeles, and so I would see her very occasionally, and she was part of the extended family of Second City that my dad was a part of, and um, but I'd never experienced anything sort of with her professionally. Um, so being put in a situation where, I mean, fortunately, we don't have to give a lot of notes on our show, which is great. Um, but it is, it was, you know, you sort of tiptoe onto set, and it was, I remember the first time being like, do you think, um, do you think we could maybe try it? Because her accent is so unique. She has this strange <laughs> affectation to the way that she speaks. And we were doing this, discussing sort of making enchiladas. And I remember th in my mind being like, I think she should say enchilada. <laughs> I think that would really go with her. So I was sort of like tapped her on the shoulder and I was like, what if you said enchilada <laughs> instead of enchilada? And she was like, okay, sure, yeah, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, oh my God. Okay. Um, and my dad, it's like, I think, I think because we had worked so much on the show together, you know, I was obviously, I, anytime I give my dad a note, it has to be something that I feel really strongly about because you don't give those two people notes because they're legends in what they do and they've, they have years and years under their belt and know so much more than your me. parent. That episode came from uh, my lack of culinary experience <laughs> and sort of obviously pushing that to, a, to the nth degree. But anything to show how out of touch and inept these people are, for me, is, is funny. Mm -hmm. um, and to watch these two characters attempt to make dinner. And presumably, I don't know, I've never made enchiladas. <laughs> oh, God, now I don't even know it's how to It's actually enchiladas. Enchiladas. Uh, Moira calls them enchiladas. Um, I don't know whether, I'm assuming they're pretty easy to make. There's tricks. All I know is that our characters get to a point in the <laughs> in the directions uh, where they say fold in the cheese, and neither of them know how to fold. Like they don't. It's like I think at one point my character asks, like, fold it. Does that mean you like break the cheese in half and like fold it like paper? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. um, I think at one point he, she's sitting there with a bowl of shredded cheese, and I said, <laughs> I don't know how to fold broken cheese. Thing that's in your hand, uh -huh. and you—broken cheese is my favorite part which, of that whole thing. You know, poor thing has no idea. I'm shocked he's still alive. <laughs> uh, but it was a really and a really fun scene to shoot, and the two of us could not get through it because a lot. There were some improvised moments in it too, particularly toward the end when we got angry at each other because we were both panicked, like we didn't know how to do something quite simple. Um, I mean, you know, I love it. Those are the joys of. Does Catherine, Catherine actually know how to cook? 
Oh, yeah. So one person there actually. Oh, yeah, she knows how to cook. Yeah. I am useless. Hey, everyone. I'm Sid Evans, editor in chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors, and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals, and of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award-winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. So uh, over the next few episodes, uh, Moira joins the Jazza Girls, which is the local acapella group. Johnny starts trying to sell baked goods around town. Mm. Um, Alexis has now officially broken up with Ted because uh, she was left in this like weird space where she was engaged, but only if they didn't leave town and she thought they were leaving. And now she's <laughs> yeah. like dating Mutt. She's got yeah. a very messy Mutt love life. But that leads us to Mutt gifting her a bike, which I know is one of right. Shayna's oh favorite moments. Right. I do need a new mode of transportation. And like, a car would be nice, but do I need a car? Not anymore, it appears. Well, you said you missed spin class. So. I did. I did say that I missed spin class. And so you bought me a bike because I said that I missed spin class because you're so thoughtful and perceptive. So you like it? Mm, I'd say she loves it. Mm -hmm. Well, you're gonna need this. <gasps> Uh, Basically, what we were building between the Mutt and the Ted storylines was the complications of what happens when Alexis chooses to go back to her old ways. And it doesn't end well, and she turns down a proposal with Ted, or, or says yes to a proposal, but conditionally, which I thought was a really um, extraordinary thing to do. Mm -hmm to say, I will marry you if I stay. Maybe. And then of course she does stay and she has to sort of wriggle her way out of it and then goes, those, goes back to Mutt, which bad decisions all around, leading her in a positive direction as the season continues. Um, but Mutt gifts her a bike and it's not what she's used to because she's used to gifts like diamonds and trips. Uh, and she, we, we learn that uh, is it David doesn't know how to ride the bike? Correct. Right. Yeah. And she doesn't know how to ride the bike. No. Like they're all they both I mean, I love that I feel bike. like this and I mean, even in that enchilada scene and these others, you see them have to learn these extremely basic things yeah. that they never learned as children and their parents barely know how to do as an adult. Or that their you know, parents learn how yeah. to do as parents. And you just kind of come back to it again and again. Because well, it's it like funny, but it's also sad. It's you're the like, infantilizing of these characters, too. Yeah. Like, we all now live in, in adjoining rooms, and part of the, f <laughs> the fun of that experience is like how regressive it gets mm -hmm. for these two adult children yeah. to like Have to go revert back, back to very basic brothers, sisters, things you, that they never experienced. So there's a fighting over where to sleep because someone like, who's going to get murdered first. Yeah, <laughs> right. That is one of my favorite. Yeah, I, it's you get murdered first for once. <laughs> for once. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, that was an Annie Murphy ad lib that was really uh, has has left a lasting impression on our show. I mean, it's fantastic. But we don't know how to ride bikes. Why would you ride a bike when someone could just take you somewhere in yeah. a car? Um, <laughs> And, uh, and how do you go about expressing how to ride a bike? How do two adults sort of say to each other, this is how it works? I think 
<laughs> at one point, I try to get on the bike and ride it, and her advice to me is the pedals make you move faster or something <laughs> very insanely basic. But accurate. But accurate. <laughs> but helpful. But yeah. yeah. You're judging me. I'm not. It's just riding a bike. It's a pretty basic skill. Mm, is it, though? I think that most kids learn how to ride a bike. Yeah, well, most kids also get head lice. Sorry if the opportunity never presented itself. Oh, what, there was no gap year in Belgium, no uh, Tour de France boyfriend? Yeah, but I never had to ride the bike. And David was such a little drama queen when my parents tried teaching him that they threw all the bikes into this big bonfire up in the Hamptons and we never talked about it again. Uh, so before <laughs> I worked at EW, I worked at People, and right. I remember when I first started there, a coworker that had been there much longer than me, she was like, for these celebrities that have been celebrities since they were kids, you have to remember, they don't know how to write a check. Mm -hmm. They've never had to go to the bank. Like, right. they, there's, yeah. there's these things that yeah. they don't know how to do Truly just because they've never had to. Things, yeah. And that's um, what these kids, that's what And I also David think there's a joy had. in showing them learning these things mm -hmm. because I think even the smallest, stupidest accomplishments mean something to them. Which is why I loved that Alexis wanted to teach David. Like, she was like, okay, I know how to do this thing now that we missed getting to do right. as kids. Now you have to do it. This is right. amazing. Why didn't we do this? Mm -hmm. And it was so sweet. Yeah, and then I had to pretend to not know how to ride a bike. <laughs> yeah. In, like, very droppy, droopy mm -hmm. shorts and a strange neoprene sweatshirt. <laughs> um, we have fun. Yeah. Um, well, part of the growth is uh, in episode five, Bob's Bagels, David applies for a job at the Blouse Barn. Yes. Uh, and you wrote, the, you co-wrote this episode. Yeah. Uh, how important was it for you to set David on this path that we eventually see him go down? Really important. I think, you know, the show is was deliberately a slow burn, and these sort of quiet revelations for these characters were very considered in terms of how and when we wanted them to go through some life stuff. I think David, at one point, realizing that he doesn't have money and needed it, at one point got a very temporary job, was quickly hired and fired at a grocery <laughs> yes. store. Um, Call for David. He should never be bagging groceries. He does not have those skills. Uh, I do love that it's his dad, though, that really does get him fired. Oh, yeah. The dad, my dad, dad gets me fired, and he's trying his best, but like. Not that that would have lasted that much longer. Yeah. The bagging of groceries yeah. was way above David's pay grade yes. in terms of capabilities. Yeah. Um, gets a job at the Blouse Barn, and I think what we wanted to express through this sort of turning point in the show, as, as sort of soft as it was, was that he has something to offer and that his taste, which he feels like is his greatest strength, his good taste, which like I would kill for the audacity to just <laughs> tell someone like, no, I, you want me to do this because I have very good taste, um, that it actually works for him and that what he tries to do with this little store impresses someone. And you need little wins in sh in the show. You need these characters to, to start to realize that they have something to say and that things might be okay mm -hmm. if, if all else fails. Mm -hmm. um, so he, he revamps this store, which was a very sort of local dress emporium into a very <laughs> black and white, what he perceives to be this sort of edgy fashion space, uh, a lot of like black, birds on shelves and minimalist clothing and uh, and it's very disorienting for the woman that's hired him to sort of creative direct her store um, but ultimately pays off in the end. Yeah. Are those my mannequins? Yeah. Well, where are they going? Well, I sold them on eBay. Well, what do you need? Well, don't worry. I'm using the money to buy other mannequins. 
ones that are a little less um, fun, porny. Uh, I also possess a few other orders, little things to scatter around the store to give the space a more directional feel. Oh, David, I saw some cute little knickknacks that I thought we could pair with the scarves. Where are the scarves? Oh, I sold those too. Oh, well, things are happening very quickly. Um, I love her. Uh, Wendy is the character's name. Wendy, yeah. played by the great Robin Duke. Yes, mm -hmm. she's so funny. Um, a question that I can't remember that we ever know the actual population of Schitt's Creek, do we? Or, no. Oh, do you have a, a general yeah. one in your head? Yeah, not a lot of people. <laughs> is, is, um, is Elmdale like... What magnitude larger is It's just a bigger town. Cool it's, yeah, there's like, okay. if you couldn't, it's like, <laughs> like they probably have an old navy mm -hmm. in gotcha. Elmdale. You know what I sure. mean? Like that's where you go to get yeah. your stuff. Yeah. They may, they may still have shut down school that day so everyone could go see the opening of the old navy, but it is Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. People were running to the old <laughs> navy opening. Um, and then there's the, the surrounding boroughs of like Elm Valley and Elm Glen. And uh, again, all, all of this elms. was sort of deliberately created to be this yeah. ecosystem that is very self-contained and, um, and, you know. Just out of distance. As, as a writer, yeah. you get to sort of, what kind of Elm <laughs> town can we make next? So totally not superficial, but I need to talk about two important <laughs> moments in this season. Okay. Um, so you wrote okay the episode after five, <laughs> um, which is called Moira versus the town council. And we see Moira fighting uh, to put flowers at the motel and kind of like beautify it. But to me, the most important thing in this episode is that Mutt shaves his beard. Yes. Uh, did, did he want to shave, did, did, did he want to shave his beard? Did, was that something you came to, to Tim and said, we want yeah, we, to? Yeah, we, we offered, we said, this is what we're thinking. Can you do it? And he's, I mean, Tim is such a, team player that he was like yeah absolutely he looks like such a different he person looks he looks like, like a totally different person, person and she is not into it at all <laughs> not at all and uh, I think sort of speaks to the superficiality that she was sort of connecting with him it was a very sort of surface thing for him and and that really triggers a moment in Alexis where she realizes that um, it's not gonna work um, but there was something about what he offered her. There was a groundedness to his approach to the way that he handled her. There, a no-nonsense mm -hmm. kind of, I'm going to see right through your, your bullshit kind of thing. And, and, uh, and she learned from him. And it was sort of a stepping stone to her, her growing. You guys allowing the silence of that breakup scene, I thought was really mm -hmm. great. Where they just kind of both stare at each other for a long time. And they're speaking without... Yeah, it was, I mean, it was, and it was fun. I mean, we, I knew that I wanted to do it. I, it was sort of scripted that you, you sort of script your way through what that long silence is. And then when we went to shoot it, our director at the time, we, we would do it and then he'd yell cut. And I'm like, no, 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 longer. So we do it again and then he'd yell cut. And I'd say, no, longer. And finally I sort of said, just let them dictate. This is obviously no, you know. <laughs> shade to our director, he was lovely, but it was about understanding and I think knowing that I was sort of behind it from a writing standpoint, I knew what I wanted it to play like, and finally we did. We let them decide how it was going to be, and that's the take we used in the show, mm. um, which is sort of moments that we've all had, I think, in relationships where it doesn't take words to, to know that it's not going to work out. Yeah. Um, so again, I, I'm going to sound so superficial, but the next moment I want to talk about is episode eight. It's milk money. Um, uh, Johnny and Alexis try and buy this <laughs> black market milk and Alexis accidentally <laughs> buys way too much. And that's oh. all a hilarious storyline. Uh -huh. But it also gives us hot Ted. 
on his motorcycle. Ted's back. Ted's back, and he's hot. Yeah. Uh, Ted's been on a beach, sort of <laughs> living his truth. Uh, on their honeymoon, <laughs> he'd like pre-booked the honeymoon, poor guy, uh, and and went on it solo and had sort of a, a, a spiritual experience uh, and came back really sort of self-assured and um, tan. Ted's, Ted's revenge bod. Ted's revenge and uh, was sort of everything that Alexis was needing from Ted, which was a little bit more of a backbone and... Um, and yeah, he comes back in full force and, uh, you know, Dustin Milligan, we sent him to a, a tanning booth and uh, told him to not shave his beard and had some fun with that. Uh, and, you know, this was a great episode for Chris Elliott. It was, I mean, I think the, the trifecta of Johnny and Alexis and Roland in this uh, sh- shady raw milk fiasco was a very, was a, I was on set through the entire thing and just, I had such a blast <laughs> watching them all work. Okay, quiet, you two. You're scared, all right? I get it. That's why you came to me. We came to you because you have a truck. And because you know if anybody can navigate the dark underworld of the raw milk game, it's me. You said it was a milk co-op. It is, but these raw milk guys can be loose cannons. Just remember, if things go south, there's a loaded BB gun in the back. What is that? Oh my god, it's the cops! I love it. Um, so, uh... We over the next few episodes we get um, like now this this milk money has they're even more yeah it was dead. a scheme it, that didn't work they didn't thought work it out. was going to be a hugely profitable thing that would sort of help them on their journey and it fell apart um, and in the process I think my dad who has come from you know he he had the second greatest video store chain under Blockbuster <laughs> um, has been trying everything he can from an entrepreneurial standpoint to like get back on track what do you do when you've lost your business. Um, and things just are not working, and uh, and it's a lot of ups and downs for the character of Johnny because I think he has high expectations for himself and also feels the responsibility of, uh, you know, uh, he and Moira trying to like get their family back on their feet. Uh, so that kind of failure uh, led to uh, some some really nice moments for my dad to play, just in terms of a guy that is realizing that he. He just really wants what he had and really wants to help his family, and uh, and it's not happening. Um, but on the opposite side of stuff, uh, in the penultimate episode, we see uh, Alexis and David help Wendy finagle a lot of <laughs> yeah. money out of a foreign company. Yes. And it ends up that she decides to retire, yeah. which and gets, gives David some money. Yes. So that kind of gets us to the finale. Get us, yeah. like, walk us through that. David's received a paycheck from Wendy after really sort of saving her business. Uh, David and Alexis sort of tag team in this, pretending to be lawyers in a situation that Wendy ends up getting a, a big chunk of change from this company out of Australia who had been <laughs> who had been using really? the blast barn without the, her without her permission, and they thought they'd just be able to buy her out. Anyway. The, at the end of that second to last episode, they are David is looking at this check and spends about five minutes trying to articulate that he thinks that they should save the money, which is something that he's never had to do before, and it, like he's struggling to get it out. Um, and it really builds to our last episode, um, which is a lovely um, a moment that that you know uh, they Johnny and Moira run into old family friends at this inn 
and we get to see for the first time the contrast of who the who the people they surrounded themselves in the past were versus who they are who they've surrounded themselves with now and there's such a stark contrast in terms of the love and the support and the sort of genuine sense of encouragement that they're receiving in this town versus what they had in the past and uh and Johnny stands up for the town for the first time, which is uh, which is a very strange, huge moment for him in terms of realizing that, oh, this town has helped us through a lot. You wrote us off, Don. Not a phone call, not an email, not a nickel. Roland and Jocelyn here could not have been more generous with what little they have. They found us a place to live. They've offered us their truck whenever we've needed it. They've invited us to their parties. They even offered to take us out to dinner tonight. My dad, I thought, did such a wonderful job with that speech, which basically is, you know, is saying this is where we live now. Um, and I think that was the first real weighted moment uh, that we were building to. I knew that it was coming, mm -hmm. um, where I think we said to the fans, there's more to this show than you think. There always has been, we just had to get you here. And that was, the, I think, the, a really wonderful uh, tee up for what our third season would be. I mean, our series finales were always little sneak peeks of what's to come. And I think the emotionality of that episode, and then you know, to, we we end the show in this celebratory manner in a in a barn, and where the family all tell each other they love each other for the first time, <laughs> um, and the struggle that they experience just saying "I love you." Um, and I cried. It oh, was I a cried. fun thing, and we had the, I I cleared this James Morrison song that I'd love. Beautiful. For, I, I literally downloaded it the minute I. It's heard such it. a great song, and um, and it just really worked out, and and it was it was joyful, it was hopeful for the first time for this family. So, um, yeah, and it just you know it's a it's a an indication of of what's what's to come in terms of the emotionality, the sentimentality, and the comedy of of what the third season would be. And we will get into that in our next episode, but that is season two of Shit's Creek. Oh my gosh. Thanks, guys. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to EW's Binge. Thank you, Dan, for joining us. Um, there's more on EW.com. You can check out the video for more interviews. Subscribe, rate our podcast, comment with your favorites. Um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Shana Naomi. And I'm at Patrick Gomez LA. Dan. <laughs> at Dan J. Levy, I think. Yes. Yes, there I we go. Why do I have such a problem with that? Is it just that you spend more time on Instagram and that's Probably. where people should come? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, yeah, what yeah. is that with you? Uh, Insta Dan J. Levy. In really creative. There we the, go. With the <laughs> social media handles. You should have hired Alexis. <laughs> I should have. There we go. <laughs> All right. Um, definitely come back. Listen to our next episode. We're going to talk about Schitt's Creek Season 3. Thank Woo. you so much.